It's, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you a, a friend of mine who happens to be the associate superintendent of our district for the Free Church. His name is Larry Austin. Uh, Larry, as Bill mentioned, was uh, the, the matchmaker of sorts between Dave and I. Um, he, he brought us together uh, upon hearing what God was doing in my heart, and I had known Larry for a few years prior to that as he was very involved in some things that were happening at New Hope as he has been involved with some things happening at Westchester, a lot of other churches. Larry has a heart to equip pastors in our district uh, and, and pastors in the, the region, really, for, for preaching and properly handling God's Word. He sharpened me a great deal. Uh, and uh, he, he did Dave's installation service for those of you who were here then and may remember. Uh, and so it was my pleasure to ask him to, uh, to, to preach today. So please welcome Larry. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. It's my privilege to, uh, to be here uh, for this uh, special day uh, in the life of Westchester honored to open the Word of God with you this morning. In a few moments, affirm God's call by you to Chuck uh, to lead you as uh, the next senior pastor of this church. I have a genuine affection and appreciation for Westchester. I've lived in central Iowa for 31 years. I served in Ames at the Free Church for 21 years. And uh, in my early days of service in Ames, Pastor Paul Bodden was a friend and a seasoned voice for this young pastor who was just getting his feet wet. And through the years, uh, I count Don Long and Dave McKinnon, and now Chuck among my valued friends in ministry. It's been great getting to know Chuck a little better now that he's been in central Iowa. Uh, I've discovered that we, we have several things in common. We both uh, love humor. Uh, we love a good caffeinated beverage. Um, we love the Word of God. Uh, we love discipling people. We love uh, the wilderness. Uh, his cup of tea is more the Boundary Waters, mine is more the Wind River Range in Wyoming, but we share that love for the outdoors. And being native sons of Nebraska, Amen. Phil, <laughs> um, uh, we, we love uh, a good cut of beef. Uh, Chuck knows his way around the kitchen. Uh, I have some gifts of hospitality. And you may not have heard, Chuck is a fan of the Huskers, okay? I don't know if he's mentioned that in his time here. And I just want to thank you for calling him anyway, all right? Okay? I mean, part of what God does is he overlooks a lot of things in our life, you know, and so this is one that you've graciously chosen to overlook in his. One of the better books I've read recently is Trevin Wax's This Is Our Time. And in one of the chapters, Wax recounts a lunch appointment with a respected retired pastor from the Nashville area. Now, Trevin came armed with several questions, hoping to glean wisdom for his own ministry. The questions ranged from how this pastor had persevered for a long season in one church. And they also covered how leading the local church and how Christians had changed over the course of his ministry. The last question Wax posed to this seasoned pastor was about the changes that he had seen in American society. The pastor paused, let out a long sigh. He pursed his lips, leaned forward, put his elbows on the table, and said, Trevin, to be honest, sometimes I feel like I'm not at home in my own country. And Wax felt saddened by what he heard. He seemed to sense the same things as well, 
and perhaps we can all relate. All we need to do is spend 10 minutes scrolling through our social media feed or 15 minutes surfing a few cable news outlets, and we'll connect with how divided our country seems right now. Now, we've always been a country of diverse opinions and philosophies and positions, but what's different today, it seems, is the tone of the conversation and the way it happens. What is also different is where the church finds itself in a changing culture. It was once, I believe, in the center of community life, and now the church seems increasingly pushed to the fringes. When I was a young man, the question was, wasn't if I went to church, but where? And in the small town I grew up in, the pastors in that community were some of the most respected voices. But now, not so much. More now than ever, Christians are viewed, I believe, increasingly as outliers and cast fairly or unfairly as bigots, extremists, and perpetrators of social injustices. Wax poses poses an important question in his book that I'd like to share this morning. Is it really that bad to feel displaced in this world? Doesn't the New Testament speak of a reality where Christians are aliens and exiles, much like Chuck and I are aliens and exiles here in Iowa? He really really encouraged me on that one. But is it that normal to not feel at home in this world? Historically, this is new territory for the American church. Yet for most of its history and in many places, the church has been a persecuted minority. And while we can lament where we find ourselves in America today, the current state poses an important question for followers of Jesus and those that will lead them. How do we live a life of faithfulness to the gospel today? Now, this is the challenge Paul's protege, Timothy, finds himself in as he shepherds the church at Ephesus. Timothy is facing enormous pressures from outside the church, persecution, and an array of competing ideologies and ideas and spiritual influences. There are also pressures from inside that church, in the form of a growing number of false teachers. Some who Paul had counted as ministry allies were succumbing to these pressures and falling away, distancing themselves from the imprisoned Paul and his young apprentice who was left to pastor the church. Now, what Paul did when he heard of Timothy's situation is he didn't encourage him, didn't encourage Timothy to go toe-to-toe with his critics or engage in a culture war, or fashion the church into something more attractive to outsiders. Instead, Paul focuses on helping Timothy live and lead as a faithful steward of the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to join me this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Now as you're turning there, let me briefly kind of set the stage. Paul spent more time in the church at Ephesus than any other church in his ministry. It's estimated he was there for for up to two years. He knew the church. He knew the culture. And he knew Timothy well. Now, we misread the book of 2 Timothy if we think it's aimed at a young man with a fragile disposition. Because what that would do is that would turn 2 Timothy into a book for the exceptions and not the rule. 
I firmly believe that if you took any pastor in the Central District and put him in the Timothy situation at that time, they'd be feeling overwhelmed from all the pressures from in and outside the church. So we have to read 2 Timothy as, as something that is for every leader, every Christian that feels underwhelmed, overwhelmed. Now the rest of this book here is, is really just a series of instructions to Timothy designed to give him encouragement and strength and guidance. I ask you to look just back one chapter at first, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. Here Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The rest of this book really follows this encouragement of what it means to fan into flame this gift, to live with that power of love and self-control and power. And so we drop down with me to verses 13 and 14. Here comes kind of the how we fan it into flame. Paul says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's really his pastoral duty. To guard the good deposit. Now how does he do that? How does he do that? How does Timothy stay faithful in times when those around him are losing faith? This is where we find ourselves as we start in 2 Timothy 2. Let's look at verse 1. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, in verse 1, we see this emphatic you then and at the beginning of the verse, which should grab Timothy's attention and ours as well. In contrast to those like Phygelus and Hermogenes that we read about in 1 Timothy 1.15 that have already fallen away, Timothy is to be attentive to the three imperatives and the three pictures in these verses. They provide instruction on staying faithful as a steward of the gospel in this church in this time. Now first we see in verse 1 the indispensable resource for faithfulness. You then be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To guard the gospel deposit given to Timothy, he'll need to stay grounded in the reality of the gospel of grace that is at work in his life. You know, the cumulative effect of swimming against the tide, both inside and outside the church, is to grow weary. I, my wife, Laura, is from Southern California. I uh, you know, dabbled around with swimming in the oceans, and of course one of the things you worry about on the ocean are rip currents, because they draw you out to sea, and then you have to swim against the tide, fight your way back to shore. That's figuratively what's happening to Timothy here. Now, we need to find refreshment. The first thing Paul instructs him to do is, is find refreshment and strength in the grace that is his and ours in Christ Jesus. 
It's grace that frees us from sliding back into a performance-based moralistic life and service. You know, one of the, the great temptations I see in the church today, we who, who seek to teach the Word of God, is to teach it in a way where the gospel stays parked back at the beginning of our spiritual journey. It's just something, it's not something we needed then. It's something we need now. We need the reality of the gospel operating in our lives every day. Our strength for daily living and service from Jesus comes through the gospel of grace. The grace of Jesus strengthens us through the reminder that we have the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And 40 years into my walk with Jesus and 30 plus years into ministry, this is more important for me than ever. The daily reminder that I am in Christ and in Him I live in and under the realities of grace. That Jesus is enough. That I'm secure in Jesus. That I have nothing to prove. That his cause is worth living and suffering for. This is what Timothy needs first and foremost. Is to be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You and I know every day life is handed us a report card. Right? Just how are you doing today? How did you, how did you handle your day? How successful were you at work? How good a mom did you feel like? And in ministry, you get a second report card. And so this is something that Timothy needs to be anchored in, is the gospel. To be a faithful gospel steward, he needs to stay grounded in it. Now from this brief but vital reminder, Paul moves to the second imperative, the essential task of faithfulness in verse 2. Let's look at that again. It says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For a spiritual leader like Timothy, there's a seemingly unending number of tasks. Most pastors and church leaders I know would agree. And the daily challenge for those of us who are in the church, leading it, is to discern not between good and bad choices, but between good, better, and best. Paul challenges Timothy to take his place in a chain of faithfulness. If I can paraphrase verse 2, it's like this. This is Timothy, when it seems like you're losing the culture war and the church is infatuated with diverse teachings and voices, double down on this. Take the words and ways of Jesus that you have seen in me and entrust them to faithful men who will do the same. This is how the church has survived throughout history. The chain of faithfulness is the process of entrusting Gospel teaching in life from one person to another. Look back again at chapter 1, verse 12. Why would Paul willingly suffer and courageously face execution um, if not for what we see there? He says, I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Circle that word entrusted if you're so inclined. It's been entrusted to Paul by Christ Jesus. And what did Paul do with it? Look down to verse 14. He encourages Timothy by the Holy Spirit to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Circle that word, entrusted. Then here again in in verse uh, 2 of chapter 2, we see it again. 
in the presence of what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. This is why this is not just a good task. This is an essential task. It's the best task. It's a chain we see here of four generations of passing on the faith, of equipping people in the ways and teaching of Jesus. This is the essential work. This is the best work. And frankly, sometimes it's an overlooked work. Now, one of the challenges for young pastors today is we're surrounded by contemporary models of doing church that aren't always helpful. Let me just share a thought here with you from Eugene Peterson, just an observation. He said, Americans show the world the way to do it, the it being developing large and prosperous congregations. There's only one thing wrong. This is not the way God brings us into conformity with the life of Jesus. We can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshipping congregation by cultivating a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation. When we do, the wheels start falling off the wagon. And they are falling off the wagon. We can't suppress the way of Jesus in order to sell the truth of Jesus. The Jesus way and the Jesus truth must be congruent. And only when the Jesus way is organically joined to the Jesus truth do we get the Jesus life. To be a a faithful gospel steward, to build a church where the teaching of Jesus is bound to the ways of Jesus, to pass on the faith to future generations, your pastors, your leaders, and you as God's people must devote yourselves to the vital work of equipping others. And it's 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 a personal calling in an increasingly impersonal world. Finally, Paul takes us to the third imperative here, and he reminds us of the undeniable cost of faithfulness. Verse 3, let's look at that. He says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's encouraging Timothy, and he's said this already in verse 8 of chapter 1, to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Look ahead just briefly to verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, Remember Christ Jesus... Risen from the dead, the offspring of, Jesus, of David, as I preached in my gospel, and for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Suffering is, is part of the call as well. To participate in the chain of faithfulness that we read about in chapter, verse 2, we must also take our place in the chain of suffering for the gospel. You know, Jesus was the suffering servant. He, he told his disciples, you're going to suffer for my sake. Paul and the apostles all suffered for the gospel. Paul now sitting on death row. And to be faithful, Timothy must endure suffering. We need, we need to understand this because this is a little foreign to us in, in America. But the gospel has always and will be advanced by suffering servants. It will. And we suffer not as an end in itself, not for suffering's sake. The motivation for suffering is actually found in verse 10 of chapter 1 and verse 10 of chapter 2. We suffer for the gospel because the gospel abolishes death and brings salvation and life through Christ Jesus. 
Between these two bookends, he gives us the why of suffering. And then in these three pictures we find in this text, he gives us the how. Three very accessible pictures for Timothy. And the first one we see in verses 3 and 4. The good soldier. The soldier that's devoted to his duty. That's focused on the one whom he serves and not the, the civilian affairs surrounding him. This would have been a very vivid picture for Timothy. He gave him the picture of a, of a, of a victorious athlete. Uh, an athlete who's training to win. He uses the same kind of idea in 1 Corinthians um, 9. The idea that, that you, know, you, you have to kind of per- perform and prepare according to the rules. Now, you know, people that know me know that I love sports, but they also know that I wasn't highly successful at any of the sports I participated in. Okay? But I still trained. I trained to win. I didn't train to get a participation medal. And Paul gives him this, this picture of an athlete who's, who's devoted and disciplined to be victorious. And then he uses the picture, which maybe is a little foreign to some of us who live in the city, the unwavering hard labor of a farmer. Paul encourages him to kind of keep these pictures in his mind as he navigates the difficulties there at the church in Ephesus. And just also along with the confidence that as he reflects on these things, the Lord would give him understanding. Good gospel stewards endure suffering to invest in others who in turn can carry forward the life, message, and mission of Jesus. And this is what you are calling Pastor Chuck to become. By enduring suffering, he'll take his place in the chain of faithfulness. Chuck, like Timothy and like Paul, can one day be assured He's completed his ministry. Yet this is not Chuck's charge alone. Everyone that has received the gospel is a steward of it. I'm going to ask you to follow the example of Pastor Chuck and your leaders and your staff and to take to heart these three encouragements, challenges from Paul. Be strengthened in the grace of Jesus. Live daily in the realities of the gospel. Take your place in the chain of faithfulness, investing in others, passing along the faith to future generations, and where needed, endure suffering as we increasingly become aliens and exiles for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Well, Chuck, I'm going to have you come up to the platform here. As Phil's described here, you can come over here. <laughs> I, I, I was pledge policy chairman for my fraternity, so there is a little hazing involved, okay? Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Now, as Phil described, you as a church have completed a very thoughtful and prayerful process of calling Chuck to this role as lead pastor. And what has unfolded in recent years um, just has the fingerprints of God all over it, and we celebrate its completion today. Um, it's an exemplary process. I mean, I pointed so many churches in our movement to Westchester uh, to just kind of learn from what you've been doing. And I'll be honest, it, it wouldn't work in every place. Uh, and so this is really a credit to uh, everyone involved, including the, the church family here. So you're all to be commended. Um, 
as we prepare to install Chuck and lay hands on him as your next lead pastor, I have a couple charges for you as a congregation. And so um, just respond when I invite you to do so, all right? And um, I, I don't know what we'll do if we get a dissenting response, Chuck, so... <laughs> I'm not prepared for that, so. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, here's the first charge. You, the people of Westchester Evangelical Free, have issued a call to Chuck Mulliken for the purpose of becoming your lead pastor. Is it your will that he officially be installed at this time? If so, say yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, first time. All right. All right, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think they've learned. Yeah. <laughs> if you're laughing in five years, praise God. So, <laughs> so encouraging. <laughs> no. Okay, the second charges, and these are a series of questions. Do you affirm his qualifications to serve as your pastor? Will you support him? in this calling by upholding his ministry, by recognizing he needs your prayers, and by committing to healthy relationships and communication, both with one another and also with him as your new pastor. If so, say, we do. We do. Okay. I'd like to invite the elders up, and they have a series of charges for Chuck as well. on this side here if you'd like. We'll put you in the middle here, brother. And uh, yeah. yeah. You can tell this was carefully choreographed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As elders, I stand here ready to recognize you on behalf of the EFCA as the new lead pastor of the Westchester Evangelical Free Church. Do you believe in your heart that you are truly called according to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ to serve this church congregation. I do. Do you believe that God has spoken in the, in the scriptures, both in the Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors? Do you believe that the Bible is a verbally inspired word of God? Do you believe it is without error in its original writings? Do you believe that the Bible to be the complete revelation of his will for our salvation? Do you believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge should be judged? And do you agree that the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises? I do. Pastor Chuck. Will you be diligent to minister the doctrine, ordinances, and disciplines that the Lord has commanded and that the church has received according to Scripture? Will you personally keep and observe them the same in your own life? With God's help, I will. 
Chuck, will you be ready to faithfully defend our church? That is, will you seek to banish and drive away from the body of Christ all wrong and strange doctrines that are contrary to God's word, but yet may find a foothold within your congregation? By God's grace, I will. Pastor Chuck, are you ready to answer my question using Chinese? <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I will speak English. Okay. Okay. Serious questions. Would you admonish, exhaust both properly and privately, both the weak and the strong within your charge, as their individual needs may require and as the occasions may be given? By God's grace, I will. Pastor Chuck, will you be diligent in prayer and in the reading and study of the Holy Scriptures and in seeking the knowledge of such things as they make you a more able minister of Christ? By God's grace, I will. Pastor Chuck, will you do your best to pattern your life in accordance with the teaching of Scripture so that you may be wholesome example to your people? By God's grace, I will. Hi, Chuck. I got two questions for you, buddy. (laughs) Will you maintain and strive for quietness, peace, and love among all Christian people, and especially those who are committed to your charge? With God's help, I will. And do you acknowledge that as part of the body of Christ, you have a need for input, prayer, encouragement, and when necessary, correction from others? Will you be committed to a spirit of interdependent cooperation with all recognized pastors who serve the EFCA? And will you willingly and gladly listen to and evaluate and accept godly admonition when necessary from the elders of Westchester? Yes, I will. Westchester family, in the presence of Jesus Christ and your local church, which is under his lordship, this man has now publicly committed himself to this trust and to accept these responsibilities, and they're solemn ones. As the superintendent in the Central District representing the EFCA, I now recognize that God has called Chuck Mulliken to serve as the lead pastor of Westchester Evangelical Free Church. Pastor Chuck, may you now graciously open your heart to accept the special filling of the Holy Spirit that's essential for this calling and the work of a minister of the gospel in Christ's church. This work will now be publicly symbolized by what we call the imposition of hands, laying on of hands. May you continually be filled with that grace of God that will allow you to have the wisdom and strength to be a faithful minister of the Word of God. May you thus be enabled to graciously administer His holy ordinances, to preach God's Word, and to be a pastor-shepherd to this congregation. May our Almighty God, who has given to you the spiritual ear to discern his pastoral calling on your life and who has given you the courage and the will to make this commitment of all these things. May he also grant to you the strength and the power to perform these commitments, fulfilling in you the work which he has surely begun through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray this now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So men, gather around, place your hands on Pastor Chuck, and I invite you to join us in prayer.
Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for who you are. Um, all majesty, all glory, all praise go to you, mm-hmm. for the powerful and mighty God that you are. We want to come before you with clean hands and a clean heart. We confess the sins that are in our life, the things that we may have spoken, the things that may be unspoken, or the deeds that we have done. Father, we know that we can confess them to you, and you are faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, and we do that this moment again. Father, we thank you for your steadfast love in leading this church for over 130 years now. We praise you for uh, the heritage that you have given us. We thank you for the servants and leaders who have had um, led this body over these years to be a light here in Des Moines and even to spread the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. We thank you for leading in the lives of those who have impacted, influenced, and pointed Chuck to you, and to bring him here today as our lead pastor. Father, we pray for the anointing of Chuck. We thank you that you are using Chuck and will use Chuck in a mighty way to help Westchester to experience God's love and to extend God's love. We lift up to you Emily and Avery and Riker. We thank you for them and pray, Lord, that they can be an encouragement to Chuck and that he will continue to lead and love and serve his family. Mm -hmm. And finally, Lord, we pray for those in leadership to come along beside Chuck and to support him as our lead pastor, Mm -hmm. to help him to carry out and to carry the mantle of lead pastor. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you today for what you've been doing at Westchester, Lord, for how you've been leading us and directing us, Lord, for the work you've been doing here. I thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing Chuck here, Lord, and for uh, the ministry he's already had with us. Uh, And as he moves into this lead role, Lord, um, I just ask that you would continue to help him to grow in wisdom and understanding and discernment, Lord, Protect his heart from pride. Keep him humble, Lord. Mm. Uh, I pray for a hedge of protection around his family, Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. That that he would continue to be a good husband uh, to Emily, Lord, and a good dad to his kids. Father, that the ministry to his family would be first in his life. The most important ministry he has is to his family, Lord. Uh, let that be that way. Don't let him become so busy that he doesn't have time to minister to his family, Lord. But above all, Father, I just pray that together with all the saints, you would help him to continue to understand day by day how wide and long and deep and high is your love for him, Lord. That he would grow in that love in knowing you, Lord Jesus. That that would be his greatest desire, to grow to know you more, to know you more deeply and fully and intimately, Lord. Help him to keep that time every day to spend with you so that he can know you more, Lord. And I pray that you would help us as a body, that we would follow well, Lord, 
Help us to, to uh, let ourselves be led by him. Help us to encourage him, uh, to support him, to love him, Lord. And we do give you all the praise and glory for this, Lord, because it's all of you, none of our own doing, Lord. You are the one who works these things uh, in us and for us. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Amen. And, Father, we add to these prayers, Father, the, um, just the um, affirmation of all that has been prayed. We thank you for Chuck's gospel story. We thank you that, um, that uh, there have been many people, many ways in which you've influenced his life and shaped his destiny. And we, we are grateful for your goodness and all those, those relationships that come alongside us to bring us to where we are. We, we pray that he might be a shining example of the gospel of grace, that uh, he, he may lead through his imperfections, and that this body would, would allow him to do so, that, that each day he might be an example of how to live under grace in the security of your gospel. We pray, Father, that now that you've kind of called him to be the lead pastor, that he would be an example of, of Jesus as a servant leader, to be kind and compassionate, and uh, yes, full of vision, but also full of gentleness as well. We pray that he might walk with Jesus, Paul, Timothy, in the footsteps as a suffering servant for the gospel. That he'd be willing to, to take the blows that are an inevitable part of ministry uh, for you. And that you would just give him strength for that. And we just recognize, Father, that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And we pray, Father, for his spiritual protection. We pray that this body would rally around him and that on their knees, Father, they would forge a new path for the gospel in this neighborhood, in this community, and that in this church with a long heritage, Father, many things that have been done in your name, that their best days would be in front of them as this man leads this church. We ask this, Father, humbly in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you. Well, it's uh, this is kind of like at the end of the wedding, except we're not going to kiss here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, as a as an associate superintendent of the Central District, the EFCI recognized, Chuck, that you've been called to serve as the lead pastor of Westchester Evangelical Free Church. And I'm uh, just going to turn the, the platform over to you, Pastor Chuck. Well, now the morning sermon can begin. kidding. I'm kidding. I, uh, to say I'm, I'm humbled uh, would not be enough. I have, uh, you know, in 1883, 16 people got together to just, they just wanted to pray together and read scripture together and study it. And they just wanted a group of people that would meet regularly and do those things. Just 16 people started uh, down at Penn and Lyon, just north of downtown over by the Capitol. And uh, that turned into a church, and that brought us here today. And, and it has been a church for over 130 years that has been committed to the preaching of God's Word, 
both here and around the world. Um, and I love that. Uh, I, I love that we can be a people who take God's word seriously. Um, and I, I set out many years ago to be able to whatever ministry stents I had between now and when I go home to heaven, to be able to measure those in decades. I was in Orange City for a decade. I've been in Des Moines for almost half a decade. And I don't know how many decades God will give us together. I hope it's, I hope it's a good handful of them. And I, and I hope that over those decades that God gives us together, that we're not the shiniest church in town, that we're not necessarily, I don't want to be the biggest church in town. I don't want any of that. I, I just want to be a church that we take really seriously, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. And that we can be a church that takes really seriously that God told us, that Jesus said, go make disciples. And that we would make disciples here, we would make disciples across the street, we would make disciples in our homes, that we would make disciples in places that don't know Jesus is their Savior yet. And I, I hope that the day will come when there, there are many more people who have grown up here that we can send off prayerfully and with tears in our eyes to go to unreached parts of the world. And I, I pray for you as a church, and I pray that we as a church would, would realize what Paul was praying to the Ephesian church in chapter 1. And he said, I, I, I remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that, that we, Westchester, would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we would know what is the hope to which he has called us. That we would know the hope that Jesus has called us to, which is the uh, what are the rich, uh, riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and made him, Jesus, head over all things the church, which is his body. And listen to this description of the church. The fullness of him, Christ, who fills all in all. That Westchester, oh, that God, through his grace, through his infinite kindness, through his, through his spirit, would open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to know the hope that he's called us so we can be a local expression of the fullness of Christ to this neighborhood, to those lovely schools over there with those kids who have been made in his likeness and to around the world. I, I'm thankful that Westchester isn't a church that calls pastors to do the ministry, but calls pastors to do the ministry with you. And that's what I look forward to. I look forward to doing ministry with you. Praise be to our great God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, to give us newness of life, 
and empowers and equips us for ministry for his glory because there's people that need to know him and we need to know him more. So let's do that together. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. We thank you that we can be a church that proclaims your name, that proclaims your might, that proclaims your power and your grace. Let us never stop doing that. Unify us by the blood of Jesus. Unify us by the Holy Spirit of God that indwells our hearts. And Lord, thank you for giving us the good pleasure of making your name known here and around the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.